Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers, for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. In this episode, we have another wonderful guest, Travis Borson, founder and CEO of Greatest American Dog Trainers and host of Animal Planet's My Big Fat Pet Makeover. We talk pet weight loss tips, how to set realistic expectations for your weight loss goals, and Travis's journey to becoming a world-class dog trainer. Well, Travis, I'm so excited to have you here today with me. Well, thanks for having me, Mikel. This is going to be great. I'm already, I've been thinking about it all week, so I'm, I'm really pumped. And I told, I'm not kidding when I say I have a couple of questions for you, so just prepare yourself. Okay. Well, I, th- I think I'm ready. I have lots of questions for you too. So let's definitely dive right into this. So tell us, Travis, a little bit about you. So for anyone that's listening in, they may not be sure. able to see how you look. You're very, you definitely have the face made for TV. I did see that you had some appearances on different TV shows, including Desperate Housewives. So I have to hear a little bit about that. But Travis is, yeah, you are just a very good looking guy, but so humble, down to earth. And you just, ever since I saw you on my big pet, uh, my big fat pet makeover show, I believe is how, how it's what it's called. And you just give off the impression of just being so humble, so down to earth. And you, you have done so much as I was reading your bio, it's just amazing all the different shows you've done and what you've accomplished. So I, I will definitely have some specific questions for you, but can you give us a rundown on like how you got into pets and how you got into what, what you do? Sure. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Mikkel, for having me on your podcast. Um, all those things are so kind. And uh, if it was my podcast, I would want to say all these nice things about you. But even though it's not my podcast, I'm still going to say them. And the things that I want to say about you are your accolades and all the things that come after your name. Like you could have written a second book that just include all of your certifications. Okay. So if anybody ever tries to say that you don't know what you're talking about, send them my way and I will stick up for you every time. Um, I uh, am in, in the middle of, of reading your book actually towards the end. And, and again, that's part of one of my questions. And so again, I know this is your podcast and you asked me a question, uh, but I just, I'm, I'm so thrilled and, and honored um, um, to be here with you. So, okay. So, all right, fine. Back to me. I'll answer your questions. Um so, so for me, you know, I grew up on a, uh, I grew up on a farm and ranch um, in in Oklahoma. That's what I did since I, you know, from a little kid. I mean, my dad had me driving the tractor at ten years old. All my friends were out, you know, playing golf and swimming and playing flag football. And I was getting up at five thirty on a Saturday morning and you know raking hay and working cattle. And you know, luckily uh, we did. I know you're a bit an avid horse person. Um, I didn't have to take care of horses. All I had to do was fill up the four-wheeler with fuel. Uh, but I do wish that I had had a horse. Um, but after watching all your videos, the way you stand on them and flip off of them, I don't, I don't know that that's my cup of tea. So, so I grew, I grew up on a, on a farm and ranch and uh, went, went to, you know, got through high school. I was really big in FFA. For anybody that is into agriculture, they know a lot about FFA. Uh, I was a state FFA officer, so I. Yeah, you know, you know FFA, I bet, don't you? Oh, I definitely know FFA. I was big into 4-H, so horse 4-H, dog 4-H, and yeah, they, they kind of go together. They really do. They really do. And and they're they're real. They that was really my first introduction, other than growing up on a farm um, to animals. And uh, through that process, I of course loved the animals, but never did I think that I was going to have a career. You know, that evolved around animals. I. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do when I went to college. But one thing I did know is that I was not going to go home and sit on that tractor for the next 50 years of my life. I was like, that was not what I was going to do. So college, I got into theater, fell in love with it, graduated. I wish I could say it was in like three and a half years as if I'm that smart, but I wasn't. Uh, I did have a degree in agriculture. That was where, you know, my parents were willing to place me in college and, and, and help me with paying for it. Uh, so I obviously studied animal science and agribusiness and all that great stuff. Long story short, I got out of college, moved right back home, sat on that tractor, took about a month. And uh, we were moving, literally, uh, we were moving a hay swather and I was in the pickup behind it. As you know, being, you know, a ranch farm girl, uh, I was going about 10 miles an hour. It was about the max speed for a tractor on a dirt road. 
daydreaming about all the wonderful things I was going to do. And all of a sudden, wham, I ran smack dab into the back of the Hayswather and my dad came barreling out of that tractor and he just, he said words I didn't know that he knew. Um, he was not pleased with me. And it was in that moment, I was like, I got to do something else. So moved to Los Angeles, did acting, film, television. 2008, there was a writer strike. And so I had been fortunate enough, you mentioned Desperate Housewives. I've been fortunate enough to make a living uh, in film and television uh, for a handful of years. And uh, 2008, there was a writer strike. Nobody was writing anymore. And I was like, well, why don't I just go get a dog? That's what everybody else does. I mean, out here, they carry them in their purse and take them wherever they want. So I should have one. Uh, what what people don't know, though, is I'd never had we never had indoor inside dogs on the farm. Right. I mean, my dad was very old school. If an animal got in the house, somebody let the door open. Who's born in the barn? You've heard them all. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so totally. I never had That's how it was for my dad, too. Was it the same way? Yeah. And it, it, it was doesn't totally make the him, same way. Was it? Yeah. And, and, and they probably said the same thing. Like there's a dog in here who 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 who's, who let it in. You know, when nowadays we work with people on who let the dog out, right? Yes. So the dog's out. <laughs> yeah, we even have a song after so, it. <laughs> they did. Exactly. Very popular amongst our amongst our uh, friends, isn't it? So, so I was like, let's go get a dog. Well, I, I again, Mikkel, I was not a trainer. I'd never had my own dog. Um, I just, you know, grew up on the farm, right? So I go get, of all dogs, Mikkel, I get a boxer. And I'm sure if somebody asks you what would be the first dog somebody should ever get as their first dog, I'm going <laughs> to guess that boxer is pretty low on your list. Am I wrong? Yes. No, you are definitely yeah. not wrong. Not wrong. Mm -hmm. Lots right. of personality, yeah. but they can be a lot of dog. Oh, my gosh. And again, <laughs> not to say that they're not bad dogs, right? But you need to know what you're in for, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so, yeah. So I got a boxer. Had no idea what was going on. And Mikkel, I did everything wrong. And I tell people this, and I think I've even mentioned to you before, but that's why I got into training because I did it all wrong. I put him in the crate when he was in trouble. Um, I was too rough with him. I got frustrated. I had a short temper when he would get into things. I would yell at him. Um, you know, he'd go do something, come back 10 seconds later, 10 hours later. Doesn't, didn't matter. I, I thought that I could communicate to him that what mm -hmm. he did an hour ago is causing my anger now. Right. Yes. Obviously, we both know that's not how it works. But, you know, almost well, gosh, it feels like almost 20 years ago. Um, all those years ago, I didn't know any different. Fast forward. I'm doing it all wrong. I'm probably days away from sending him to live with my sister in Colorado because I'm just like, I can't do this. I mean, he got out so mm -hmm. many times. Hiking, running, Canyon in Hollywood. This lady comes up and Presley had ran up, basically ran off down the mountain. It was an off, it's an off leash area. And I thought, well, I don't know. I guess he's gone. I don't know what happened. And uh, she runs up. She was like, is that your dog? And I thought, uh oh, I'm, I don't know. Should I claim him? Is this, is this my opportunity to run for the hills? Like, I don't know. Of course, about that time he's running back up there licking my hand. And I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh. And, uh, and I was like, uh, uh this dog, is this one your are She's like, yeah. She's like, he's great. And I was like, well, in that case, I guess he is mine. If you think he's that great, I'll go. Anyway, all that to say, she was a headhunter for the greatest American dog reality show that was going to be on CBS uh, that summer. And uh, just like in Hollywood fashion, they were casting somebody in their mid to late 20s, single with a dog. And mm -hmm. they were out there scouting, looking for this person. Um, something a lot of people don't know, they had this person cast and he, and the guy, whoever he was, didn't pass the psychological evaluation. Did you know you need one of those to be on a reality show? I had heard and, that. I was listening to a good podcast yeah. about that, how important that is now and for, for good reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for good reason. A lot of reasons, but I think one, too, to make sure that there's some that there's some confrontation, you know, within the house. Yes. I'm non-confrontational. If you haven't known, I'll try to laugh and smile my way out of anything. Um, yes. but anyway, they were, they were literally a week away from filming the show. They couldn't find anybody else. I went and met with the trainer for the show. You actually probably know this person and we can talk about it later. Um, but she was like, oh my gosh, like I, this dog doesn't even know how to like stay like, and we're going to put him on national television somehow. And there's a whole nother story, but somehow we ended up getting picked the 12th pair to be on the show. We were supposed to be the first ones to get kicked off. Um, 
fast forward, we made it all the way through the show with professional dog trainers, with trick trainers, with all these people, basically because our relationship, when I got on that show, started off because I learned from them with positive reinforcement, keeping the training fun, keeping it short, right? All the things that, that you preach, um, not just in your fear-free program, but also in your, in your book, which again, I can't wait. I don't, maybe we'll have to do a whole nother podcast where we can just talk about you. If you don't mind, I would like to do that. Um, I learned all of those things on my time on the show, right? And because it was publicized, obviously the viewing audience saw my relationship grow from these, these, this, this pair going separate ways, right? A fork in the road. When we met this show, he was going one way, I was going the other. And our um, experience on this show brought us together, right? And that's, and it changed my life long-term, the way we're, we're all in a field because something has, uh, you know, God has led us that way. Something has led us that way. Um, but all that to say, for me, that's why I got into it. I do love animals. I'll never love somebody else's dog as much as them. But I love helping the owners connect those dots and find those answers before too much damage is done, because that's where I was, um, you know, in, in my life with my dog. And so he obviously being a boxer, uh, had a very short life, the intention, uh, lifespan being eight to 10, he barely uh, made it past seven, but he lived the life of a 30 year old dog. I mean, we went everywhere and uh, road trips galore and, and all that good stuff. But uh, all that to say that long answer, that's how I uh, got into doing what I'm doing. Well, I, I love that. And as you were talking about your upbringing and being on the farm and doing FFA, I know from my time in 4-H, like whether it was working with horses or doing dog obedience, the definitely the methods that were used then, and I think it's starting to evolve and change a little, a little bit. I've heard of people using more clicker training, even with livestock, which I think is super cool. And some of the 4-H, I think, is starting to go more towards reward-based training. But a lot of it is more of that traditional kind of coercive type of handling. And, you know, and I think it's a lot of it can be what you grow up with. So it's like, I know, like when I first started training, that's how I was trained was, you know, pressure and release type of training versus as I started to really get into it, I started to realize, wow, there, there's different, there's a different way to do this. And kind of like you said, where it's like that transformation, it's just like that light bulb moment. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's just so neat that you have like that, that story and like actually have it on video, this transformation for you and with your dog. Like, I, I, I want to ask you like what, what kind of things like developed in your relationship and like with, with him as he, like, did he learn how to stay? And I'm sure he probably learned a lot more during that time, but tell me like how he changed himself too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the biggest changes Mikkel, and, and I think you'll really appreciate this, um, having a specialty in animal behavior, but uh, because I was so physical with him in the beginning when I didn't know any better and I would get frustrated. Right. And, um, for me, when he was a puppy, he didn't know or understand, um, because I also didn't understand socialization at an early age, you know, that three, four, five weeks up to 16, if you're lucky, 2024 of that being such a crucial period. Um, I didn't socialize him. I mean, I didn't know any, I didn't know, right. I didn't know great with people. Right. Cause I had fortunate, a lot of friends, uh, but they didn't have dogs. They weren't bringing dogs over. So he only learned the communication skills off of me. And really what he learned was, is that I don't read communication skills, right? I bypass them because I didn't know what he was ever communicating. And I just show my emotion and I just put it on him all the time. So that's a long winded way of saying he learned to quote unquote, fight back, right? Bear his teeth, show his teeth, nip, bite, whatever it was in response to the way I was bypassing his communication, right? And as you know, if a dog's telling me something and I don't know what they're telling me and I go in to pet him, the dog goes, I told you once and you ignored me. And now my only response is to, right, X, Y, or Z, fight or flight or freeze or, you know, I don't want to get into all that right now. Um, so that's where he learned to, to lash back out. I tell you that because our experience on the show of, reversing everything and going, you know what, if, if, if I can see you're about done, let's get one more, let's get one more win and let's move on. Let's not keep going. This isn't, I don't have to force any of this. Right. And when I learned to read his body language, when I learned when he was stressed, how to deal with that, when he was fearful, how to deal with that. 
um, when he needed me, when he didn't need me, right? When he just needed some R and R, that's when our relationship, you know, took the turn that it needed. And once that happened, it, it, I mean, everything, right? It just, it just took off. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing. I tell you that because the next dog that I got, I thought, you know what? What if I? What if nobody ever raises a hand to this dog, right? What if? He, what if the dog never knows that a human is ever going to physically punish them, is ever going to even mentally punish them, right? Verbally punish. What if this dog just all it knows is love? And any time that it does something that it shouldn't do, we make a note of it. And the next time we're in that environment, we go, how do we prevent that from happening, right? Instead of what do we do when it happens? How can we prevent it from happening? How can we set him up, right? He, he's still alive. He's a boxer. He's almost 12 years old. He has never bitten anybody. He's never showed his teeth. He's never even growled except for at other dogs, right? Which I'm like, hey, they're communicating. That's all fine. But he's a dog that we use to visit schools. We do all the stuff. He only knows to flight, right? So if somebody grabs him, pulls him, whatever, he gets up and leaves, right? And so to me, that was such a testament that we have so much control. We don't always have all the control, right? When you get into genetics, we have so much control over what our dogs and how our dogs associate things in the environment, whether it's people, places, you know, um, races, doesn't matter. We have so much control over helping them navigate that. And when we don't take advantage of that, the last thing we can do is be upset with them when they're confused in those situations. Yes. I love how you were talking about like just how you would feel frustrated sometimes. And then it's like that frustration or that anger then is, you know, that that's then when the punishment would come. And that's so common. Like that's a very, very common thing. And and I, that's, I remember talking to Steve White a long time ago. Have you heard of Steve White? He does some kind of like, like, yeah. So he's a great dog trainer. Um, Steve and Jen White, they do like um, some protection dog training, police dog training and, and try and do it in a positive way. So with a lot more reward-based training and some clicker training in there. And, but I remember him saying the biggest problem with punishment is that, that when people do it, they like, in order to do it effectively, you have to have ice in your veins. He's like, you know, because otherwise usually it's reinforcing for the person because when they punish the dog, it's like they get that instant relief. And, um, so it's, it's an outlet for them. And then the dog starts to associate, Hey, when they're frustrated, when they're angry, when they're upset, then punishment comes. And so there, there also starts to become this negative association with emotional states. And so I think that's just so, uh, amazing how self-aware you are to know, like, Hey, I was feeling frustrated or I was feeling, you know, upset. And I remember that with my horses in 4-H when I was growing up and, and before I learned a better way to, you know, now I get to have all the fun with chili right in with a treat bag and do a lot of our clicker training. And, you know, it's just, it's a totally different way, but I I definitely remember that I feel frustrated sometimes. And it's like, you know, that's when I I was, you know, rougher on his mouth or, you know, it's, and I, I don't think that we necessarily realize like how our emotional state just ups that anxiety for our animals, even when we're trying to train in, sometimes it does the exact opposite of what we're trying to do because it just escalates that fear, anxiety, and stress for them. Well, it really does. And I love all of that, you know, and one of the things that this reality show did was they put all 12 of the people with their owners in a house together. We had never met each other, right? You can't leave. There's no cell phones. There's no magazines. There's no computers. You're there with your dog, right? So you have one of two options. Either you get to work and, and take advantage of every moment, right? Or you just say, whatever, it's a free for all and let your dogs go. And so for me, I never thought we had a chance to win on the very first day. They brought us all out and they're like, okay, well, whoever wins gets $250,000. Right. And I'm like, wait, there's a prize. Like, what are we doing? Like I shouldn't even be here. This is ridiculous. And, uh, and, and that's when I realized, I mean, I'm a competitor. There was a goal and I'm like, you know what? We probably don't have a chance, but if we're going to have a chance, we have to work every single minute. And so when he wasn't, training when he wasn't working on sits and downs and come on calls and whatever he was in a sit stay and if he would fall asleep in the sit stay it's not punishment that's just the rule if you're going to be out with me there is a place for you there is a job for you to do uh and that was where i just realized like for all these people who have these high expectations that's fine if you set the high expectations just be clear and understand what it's going to take for you to get there 
And if you're not willing to put that work in, just lower your expectations. The dog doesn't have an expectation other than the fact that love them, right? So we as the human set those expectations. It's just, are they realistic? I love that. I, I think, yeah. And, and for you having that high expectation, like I, I love that dogs can meet us where we're at. And so it's like, you know, for him, as you're talking about like the sit stay, it's like, and I, I have done the same thing with my dogs and, and just, you know, it's like that, that long duration and they want to be there. Cause it's like, Ooh, you know, when's that reward going to come? And it's just like, uh, you know, that, that desire to like, just stay there and not give up because, Oh, something good's going to happen. And, but it's so neat to get them in that happy, relaxed state when they're training. And it's just a total totally different way. Uh, so in terms of, so I, I want to go back one more time on, on your time with like FFA and some of like your time on the farm, like how has your perspective changed on, on the types of handling you were introduced to early on? And, and how have you seen that change? Like not only for yourself, but have you seen that on a grander scale, like with your family or uh, when you are, I saw some of your work on my big fat pet makeover and saw you working with some livestock and you were doing some really cool stuff, like with the one pig where you were teaching him to use a food puzzle and you were using a lot of reward-based training. So I imagine that your way of interacting with even large farm animals has changed quite a bit. Yeah, it really has. And, and I grew up, uh, I grew up showing pigs. So pigs were were what I, they were my supervised agriculture experience for all those 4-H and FFAers out there, my SAE uh, program. And pigs are, for people that don't know, they're one of the smartest animals there are. I mean, they are very, very, very smart. What I, what I learned with not just pigs, but with any animal though, is that they're still beings, right? They're still, you know, creatures of, of God. I mean, they, they, they still, they don't have this necessarily have the same feelings, but they still have like animal emotions, right? Not, and again, I'll, I'll repeat this because you already know it, but for people that, that watch this, you know, they'll say, I knew, I knew that I heard that my dog did that because, because I left him at home alone. No, that's not what I'm saying, everybody. Um, that, that, but the positive reward base is it is, it is our nature, not even as just as humans, but also as animals that to work for something, to, to have a job, to, to have something and accomplish it and, and feel a sense of fulfillment, right? And we have the opportunity as humans to uh, exert that love, that praise, that compassion, whether it's through food or treats or, or praise or love or affection, whatever it is. So yes, I'll tell you just a quick funny story about the pigs. Now in FFA, we would use, you know, what we call a guide stick, right? It, and you know what it is. It's just a little, it's just like a little stick. It almost looks like a little cane, um, and there's nothing on the end of it. It just, and it just guides the pig. Right. And they were like, well, we need to walk these pigs. What should we use? And my first thought went, you know, if I use this little guide stick and guide this pig around, somebody on animal planet's going to ride in and say that we're slapping pigs and we're whipping them and we're hitting them. And I'm like, oh my. And so I walk such a fine line that at some point I'm going to get to a point where I go, this is what's best. I'm not whipping the pig. You don't know what you're talking, but I couldn't, right? I was just so worried about what everybody's going to say. So we got out the noodles, which worked fine. Great for the kids because um, they can use it appropriately. Uh, but yeah, it, it is. It's all the same. We use, those were dog food toys, right? I mean, you, you knew what they were. I mean, it's no different. If, if we're trying to get a pig to lose weight and you just keep putting food in the pan, what? And you, and you don't even make the, the pig leave its pig pen. Well, don't be upset that it's overweight, right? It's pretty obvious. I, I love the whole concept. I loved watching you on the show. That's, that was my first introduction to you. And then it was so neat to be able to reconnect later on and talk about fear free together. And, and then to get to you today on the podcast. So when it comes to pet weight loss, I think that there's sometimes that misconception where it's like, okay, just feed the dog or feed the cat less or the pig less and exercise more. But why can that be a misconception? So, well, there's a lot of factors. Um, for the people that did watch my big fat pet makeover, and as people watch this, if they ever want to go check it out, it's on YouTube for free. You don't have to have Animal Planet. You can you can Google it. Um, I know it's a long word, my big fat pet makeover. But even on the show, every every animal, every pet, cat, dog, pig, it didn't matter. They went through an evaluation by their veterinarian, right? And I think that that's everybody needs to understand. If you're going to change something in your pet's lifestyle, you start with the veterinarian. Any good dog trainer that isn't a veterinarian, if they're not recommending that, 
they probably shouldn't be in this field, right? Mm -hmm. um, same goes for dog trainers uh, that give vet advice. That's not your job. That's not your role, yes. unless you have a background in that, right? So we always have to start there. That I will always, I mean, that is, I will advocate for that every time. Now, once we get a clear bill, clean bill of health, now, right, having um, some background in nutrition and pet health and wellness, like bring it on, right? Now I have a clean slate that I can work. Now, with that said, if the vet says, hey, we're dealing with, you know, a thyroid problem, right? And again, we won't get into all that. It doesn't mean we can't still do things, but the veterinarian can give us those guidelines. What are our limitations? What's going to be unsafe for that pet? Um, and, and, then, and then, you know, a, a plan can be, can be put in place. Let's say we get a clean bill of health, which we had for the majority of the pets on the show. Some had some thyroid issues and we just worked around them. We didn't not address them, but we also were like, hey, we have limitations. The, the thing is, is that people just think feed less and exercise more, right? In theory, we are doing some of that. The issue is feed less. Well, what does that mean? What is, what is feed less, feed less of what feed less of just their food? Well, okay. I'll feed them less food, but because I think they're hungry, let's give them some extra, you know, bully sticks and, and let's, oh, and well, they eat less of their food, but, but sometimes they sneak the cat food and the other dog's food, but that doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like there's all these different yes. scenarios, right. That you probably deal with on a daily basis, just in general training. If somebody's like, well, my, mm -hmm. my dog's not food motivated. And you're like, yeah, because they're 50 pounds overweight. You leave yeah. the food bowl yeah. out. The dog can just eat anytime. Exactly. They're just grazing throughout the day. <laughs> exactly. You're like, you know what? You know when I'm not food motivated? Thanksgiving. You know why? Yeah. There's food everywhere all day long, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so I think that's where we really start. We also address the fact that the, the guidelines on food bags, th those are general guidelines. I'm not here to bash any food company, but at the end of the day, they make money when they sell dog food. So mm -hmm. if they're telling you too little, they're not selling more dog food. I don't, I don't think they're here to, you know, hurt your dog, but there's no one size fits all. Right. Absolutely. And so you really have to break all that down because I don't know, you might even know, um, I haven't checked in the last year, but up until a certain point, those guidelines were based on, uh, dogs that were not fixed. Right. So they have this extra testosterone, the estrogen they have going through their body. And it was also based on, on a high activity dog, you know, and now they're coming out with dog foods like low activity, medium activity. High. But what does that mean? Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, there, so because of that, that's why it's not just feed less and exercise more. And then you go, well, I know you get, you probably get this all the time. You, I'm sure you have a list of questions that you ask, right. When somebody comes to you for help um, on my list of questions, two very important ones are what is your feeding routine? Right. And what is your exercise routine? And I say on a daily average, like, what is it? It was different for my clients in New York than it is in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, I get, well, you know, we have a huge backyard. So, um, you know, they have less, they have like an acre. Right. And I'm like, guess what? Yes. Um, I have been a member to a gym for like five years and it's really a really <laughs> big gym. Right. And I can go uh -huh. in there and watch ESPN highlights just as easy as I can get on that treadmill. Right. You know what I mean? Oh my so, God. I love that. Just I like, love that. Just back and back and forth. And speaking of loving that, I, I know I keep going to your book, but it disappointed me a little bit because the majority of things you said, I thought I came up with that stuff. I thought those were my <laughs> analogies. And then you were using them in your book. I was like, <laughs> really? damn, Mikkel. Yes. I mean, oh I even made a list of them. I made a list. Anyway, uh, for another podcast probably, that. or even a just a phone, phone call. And I just kept hearing them. I'm like, I thought I created that analogy. What the heck? So anyway, um, <laughs> we're, we're like, we're, I, uh, what would we be like? Soul, soul siblings or something like where we had the, yeah, yeah I like it. I I'm feel it. I'm <laughs> you. It was anyway. So I just, I love that. I love that. we we think so much alike and I just can't imagine, uh, obviously we can do cool things now, but all the cool things we could have done if we'd have met, uh, even sooner, but um, so all that to say, exercise is relative, right? So mm -hmm. it, it really depends on the lifestyle of the person, um, depends on, you know, what their capabilities are, what, what is your lifestyle like, what's your famous lifestyle like? So all that to say, it can get broken down in so many different ways, but at the end of the day, getting your dog out, getting them moving, paying attention to not just how much, but actually what you're feeding is important. 
I, I really like that. A question that I have for you is, so when you're looking at pet food, I know for me, I do pay attention mainly to like protein count, for instance, or like a protein percentage. That might be something I do pay attention to. And for me, I pay attention to that primarily because we do have a dog, Otis. He's I talk about him a lot it's because he gives me lots of good material. He's our our problem <laughs> child, but our very loved child. Who <laughs> we, we were his fifth home by the time he was seven months of age. And he's a, a little 16-pound dog who, who is just like a whole ball of fury. Like he is just, he is full of it. And uh, so for Otis, I do not want to go for the really high protein dog food because that's going to probably give him even more energy, amp him up even more. So I want to go for, you know, usually that, that normal percentage. So if I'm looking at anything around like 20, 22%, um, I'm like, okay, that's a little high. So I'm going to want to go down a little bit for him. So I look at it for that reason. And I think, um, you know, and it, and it depends because as you were saying, like different activity levels that can impact the dog. What do you look at when you are looking at pet food? So there's a, a handful of things, uh, especially with all of these new types of things coming out, right? Like grain-free um, kind of stuff? and yeah, Well, grain-free, but also just like whatever, farm to table, like the raw food that they're sending you boxes and you're shoving them in your freezer. And uh, I dealt with that a lot in New York, right? And I'm, I'm not going to bring up the brands. You know what they are because um, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to bash them in any way. But I, I would have people say that like, well, I'm hearing that if I don't feed this, my dog's going to die. And I'm like, how do you think these dogs have lived all these years? This didn't exist till just like, you know, a year ago. Like, what are you talking about? So I think it, it, it gets very convoluted, right? So here's what I tell people. Like when I, instead of trying to teach each individual dog owner about, um, you know, the guaranteed analysis on every bag and what we're looking at from, you know, the fat content to the calorie content to, you know, and then all the ingredients As I, number one, I start off, I, I make it really, really simple. And I say, number one, where do you buy your dog food? Where's a convenient place to, to buy dog food that's close to your home? Cause you're going to run out at some point. Right. And is it at the corner market? Is it here? Is it there? So we establish that. Then we go there, we go, okay, now what are our options here? Right. Obviously with online dog food, it's become a little easier and that's less of a thing, but let's be honest. Like if it's 6 PM and you ran out of dog food, I know Amazon's great, but it's not going to get there in two hours. Right. So they need to have a convenient dog food. Cause the last thing I want them to do is run down to the corner, you know, the corner gas station, you know, and buy a, a bag of that crap. And then we have the runs everywhere. We've all experienced that. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, So, so we address, you know, yeah, what's convenient? Uh, what are those options there? And then from there we can, and then from there, those are our options, right? And we'll go down and look at that. And then the third thing is we'll look at budget, right? Because I do believe there's some, there, there, you do get what you pay for, right? And a lot of things, food can be one of them. It's not with every food, but as a whole. And so what's your budget like, right? And then now, okay, now we had, 10 brands. Now we're down to four brands, right? Okay. Now, now we're down to four brands. All right. What size of dog do you have? And what size of bags do these come in? What are you going to get for your money? So before we even get to the food, right, we have a handful of other factors that we're going down until we get to the food. And then at that point, we're really looking at uh, the breed, uh, what, what type of, um, uh, how much energy do they need every day, right? Are we talking about a Shih Tzu Right? Are we talking about you know a greyhound in its prime? Um, are we talking about a, a, a high high drive Labrador, right? Versus a Maltese. They both need exercise, but one can go you know 30, 40 miles, and the other one, you know, a, a few trips around the block is going to suffice. So before we even get to the bag, we're breaking. And honestly, Mikhail, by the time that happens, we're down to like one or two options. Right. Regardless of what's on the bag and you hit the, the nail on the head. If you have a super high energy G dog getting a ton, a ton of exercise. I mean, you want to look at the protein. Right. And it's not even bad to even look at the fat because they're going to burn it all. Right. And if there's not some of those ingredients in there and they're going out there running 30 miles, they actually needed some of the stuff that might have been bad for the Maltese. Who's going to lay on your lap all day? So that's kind of that's kind of the the flow chart, if you will, of how we, you know, of how I help the owners choose their food. 
So I like how you were talking about price on food. And that's something my dad as a veterinarian talks about a lot where he, it, it bothers him a lot. It's so this is like definitely when he gets on his soapbox, but where he's like, you know, what really matters more is how the dog is fed. It, are they getting veterinary care? You know, and as you said, like there, you know, there definitely is a difference in quality of dog food, but you don't have to pay $50 for a five pound bag of food, for instance. And, uh, but people have this guilt, like if I'm not buying my dog, this type of food, then I'm, I'm not a good person. My, you know, that's what I, as a good pet owner, that's what I need to do. But there are so many other ways that, that we can actually spend our money wisely for our pet and, you know, different ways. Like, so rather than being overly concerned of having to get that, you know, finding a, a good quality pet food. And then from there, what's even more important is how you're feeding that. So rather than doing food bowl, for instance, that's where we can give them that job to do, as you were mentioning. So can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. Just as far as, um, different ways of feeding. Yeah. Different ways of feeding. And, and like, have you experienced that? Cause I'm sure like in New York, I remember from some of my time there with my, my dad, when he was working, as you were mentioning, a lot of people, you know, it, it's, you know, feeding raw or feeding those really, really premium, premium quality foods that are so expensive. I actually, when I was in a school, a doctoring school in San Francisco, I stayed with a lady who cooked her dogs premium food every day. And oh my God, my mouth was just watering. I was like, I want her dog's food so bad. I'm like, can I just have like a little bite of that steak? It smells so good. And oh, it looks so good. And and then I'm here eating like, uh, you know, just pizza and and toast. And I'm like, oh my God. But I I think that there's this, this kind of guilt behind that. So um, like, what is your experience with that? How do you talk through that? And then also, yeah, what are some different ways that we can use that food to really actually benefit the pet the most? Yeah, well, and I, I think you bring up a great point because I think there's ways to use the food not to just benefit the pet, but to benefit the human dog bond. Uh, food is power, right? We talk about, and you talk about it in the book, there, food is a resource that dogs need for survival. If that, if that resource is given to them freely, constantly, or even just freely once in the morning in a bowl, once in the morning at night. If I'm the dog, I'm like, I love this bowl. I worship this bowl. This bowl is my world. And, and then owners are like, ah, they just don't focus. I just can't get them to pay attention. They just don't, they don't care anything about me. And I'm like, well, you taught them that. Like, what, what do you want me to do? Right? So I think there's, it, there's, so, there's so many empowering things that you can do with, and it all starts with their resources. Um, the the talking about food bowls, uh, the snuffle mats, all of those things like you talk about enrichment, right? Having a healthy dog isn't just their physical state, right? With humans, we talk about mind, body and spirit. Why isn't it the same for dogs? It is the same. Um, an idle mind gets into trouble. Humans and dogs is the same. So being able to use something that is of high value to them eliminates their ability to choose something, a behavior we don't want that they go and do because they're bored. So if we can use that to our advantage and really, so that's what it becomes, right? Teaching the owners, all these different outlets of how they can enrich the life of not just their pet, but nurture uh, a bond. It's based on love, trust, and mutual respect. And that's done through the time and care and the the way you, you do your feeding. So Again, I know I keep referring back to your book, but if anybody's out there listening, you don't have it. I'm not kidding, Mikkel. I ordered two of them for my trainers today. Not kidding. I don't know if it's come through. It was on Amazon. So, um, but one thing you talk about that we live by is take that food. Talk about treats. The food is treats. The dog doesn't know the difference, right? Mm-hmm. You know, literally one kibble the size of a pea is a perfect amount. You said yes. it. I thought I said it, but you said it. Dang it. Um, and and to be able to use that is, is so empowering for an owner. You want a dog to listen to you, give them a reason, right? That's all you're doing. So everything from hand feeding for the first, you know, two to four months of a dog's life to using the dog toys to, for enrichment, for mind, body, and spirit wellness, um, to just making sure, okay, let's say that you want to just put the food in the bowl. That's fine. But if you put the food in the bowl and your dog walks away, pick the food up and put it away. If if you put the food in the bowl and your dog walks over, digs in and eats for a few minutes, walks away, that's it. Meal time's over. 
That does not get added till the next meal. That's it. Game over. If your dog goes down, eats it all right away, you feel good about the amount you've been guided on it, then okay. That's what your schedule allowed you to do. So uh, there's so much that can be evolved um, or, or revolve around the feeding time that I think a lot of owners are missing a, a wonderful opportunity there. I love that. So one thing I've heard you talk on is body condition score. Can you explain yeah. more about that and how people might actually use that for their pets? Absolutely. So the body condition score uh, is can totally be used at home by any pet owner. Uh, I'll go through the like the top two things to don't do because I see owners do it all the time. But there's there's two body condition scores. There's a body condition score that is a one through a nine. And then there's a body condition score that's a one through a five. It's really the same concept. Uh, you just might find different ones. It's just a wider range, right? So one, the lower end being severely, severely malnourished and underweight, and then either the five or the nine, depending on the scale you're looking at, uh, being obese. Generally speaking, if you want to do a self-test at home with your dog and or cat, um, literally all we're doing is we're standing over the top. We want to see an hourglass, but but if there, I've had so many fat pets where the owner's like, I see it though, but I really see it. I mean, it's there. And I'm like, yeah, under like 20 pounds of, of fat. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Move your hands down the sides of your dog and you should be able to feel the ribs exist without being able to visually see them protruding. Now you get this. Well, well, I was, I was just big boned. I mean, I was just big boned or Oh, uh, well, you know, it's a gold, golden retriever. I mean, just a lot of hair, just a lot of hair. And I'm like, I work with me here, right? Work with me here. Um, so owners can talk themselves out of it, but at the end of the day, they know. And, and, and you know, and, and I know that you've heard this. Well, I know, but they're just so cute. And it just makes me feel so good to give them that little extra treat. As soon as I give it to them, they go and lay down. And I'm like, yeah, because their stomach hurts because you did that 30 times, not because they're happy, you know? So the body condition score really uh, provides owners with uh, a way of, of, of seeing where their pet is on a scale um, from being healthy and unhealthy. And, and the middle number is typically your ideal, you know, your ideal uh, place you want them to be. I think that I definitely use that score quite often myself. And my, my dad is a vet. I, I think, you know, if yeah. he as a vet has issues with people having excuses for their pets being overweight, such as them being fluffy or, or just big boned or, or especially fat cats. I love fat cats, but I love my cats being fat. So when you deal with people that have pets that are overweight or obese, like how, how do you kind of get through to them why they should care so much about their pet being at an ideal weight? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question, Mikkel. And I, um, I think you've probably uh, had to have this conversation with owners and just bringing up the subject can be very, um, what would you say, like walking a fine line, like walking on thin ice, like telling somebody their child is overweight or, you know, uh, something's wrong with them. So it's hard. It's hard. And, and again, um, I've had vets tell me, like, put it on us. Meaning, my first question is, has your vet ever mentioned to you anything about your pet's weight? You know, I always want to start there because, again, they're going to, tr even, even if I know what I'm talking about, they're going to trust that right out of the gate. Some say, well, they haven't mentioned it. Others say, uh, yeah, they said something about it. You know, so I always start there. But secondly, at, at the end of the day, really what we're getting down to, Mikkel, is that a, dog, a healthy dog at a healthy weight can live up to two years longer than an unhealthy dog. So the real question is, how long do you want your dog to live? I, I can't answer that for you. You know that you, I want your dog to live as long as they can, but it's not my dog. Right. And so when it's pitched to them that way, if I ask them, well, how would you like to live an extra two years? Like, Oh my gosh, you know, and two years in dog years is way more in human years. So, uh, you know, how, how would you like to live for another 14 to 20 years? You know, that that's a huge thing, right? So when you, when you pitch it that way, I think people start to go, okay, all right. Versus, a trainer or a nutritionist or a behaviorist that might come in and just go, oh my gosh, your dog is fat. You are overfeeding this dog. You're killing this dog. Like that is not an approach that a teammate would have with, with somebody, right? And these are our teammates. We have to be uh, accountability partners, but we also have to be their coaches. 
And uh, I didn't go into the military, nor do I want to feel like I'm in the military. Um, I am thankful for all of our military, but I don't like to be bossed around like that. So I really try to treat the owners as if they're more friends, right? And I'm here to help you. And if I can help you help your dog, then we can get somewhere. If I can't help you, I'm really no good to your dog. And that to me is, you know, you know this, we're in the people business. We help pets. It's people first. Absolutely. If you can't connect with the person, you are not going to be able to ultimately connect with that pet and help that pet. So very, very crucial. Speaking of the military, I I can't help but tell this story. I was in ROTC in the Air Force um, in college, and I was... (laughs) And for anybody that knows me, it's kind of funny because I'm very much like a free spirit and I struggled. I struggled really big time. And <laughs> because they I would do different things. That it wasn't all positive. Was it not all positive reinforcement? I can't imagine. No, it was not. I would get yelled at. It'd be like, well, who, who are you? What's, what's your name, cadet? And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm cadet Becker. I'm from Bonners Ferry, Idaho. And they're like, gauge your eyes. And they're, they're yelling at me. And then they look down at my shoes and they're like, we do not wear sparkly shoelaces in the air force. (laughs) Dang it. It's my only pair of white shoes. And, uh, yeah, it it was kind of, it it was quite the time I I was in it for a little while and I enjoyed my time, but I was, I was terrible. I was like not in shape and I was like, like the one in in the very last little line and they're like, keep going, you can do it. So they were very encouraging, but it was also very embarrassing. So that, that was kind of a, a low time in my life, but that's Massive amazing. Respect. That's a, that is great. <laughs> well, and so, you know, obviously you got a firsthand experience on a different method of training, yes. right? It's fine. This you exactly. know, might work for some people, but you and I, I think we're no. uh, cut from the same cloth. That is not, that is not my style. <laughs> No, it wasn't mine either. I can't remember who it was. Um, oh God, Goldie Hawn was in the military movie. They would always, um, I had some friends in there. And, oh God, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that was, that was my, one of my names back then. And unfortunately when I went to the recruiting office, this was completely on accident. Like I wasn't even planning on going there that day. But I think I started off my Air Force career the wrong way because I just happened, I was going to be going in a different day, but that was the day I ended up having to go in to go meet them. And so I go up there and I'm walking up the steps and then I look down, I'm like, oh crap, because I'm in like a, a pink, pink camo skirt, mini skirt, pink high heels. Yeah. And then the pink shirt. And I'm like, Oh my God, they are for sure going to think I'm like going on theme here. And, uh, yeah, so it it was, yeah, not, not my thing. And I never got rid of my sparkly shoelaces either. So I think that, that, uh, yeah, I probably burned some bridges, but (laughs) no, I think, but you have to hold on to that because that's a great story and that's part of who you are. Right. I mean, that's, you learn firsthand. You, I mean, I, all I can do is you know, I see the movies, right? I've never been to the military. I, I was in a military TV show, right? But they didn't send me to boot camp. So anyway, that's great. So, so, I love that. So one question I have for you on, like, how do you get pudgy pups moving and how do you get chubby cats moving? Like, so if your cat or your dog, they're interested in just kind of laying in the sunbeam, hanging out on the couch, like, how do you get them moving in a way that's like practical and that's not going to make them more prone to injury? So if you think of like a dog, for instance, if, if you have a really overweight dog, it's going to be probably unrealistic and likely to cause injury. If we all of a sudden are like, okay, we're going to start doing like five mile walks and you know, or 10 mile walks. Like that's a, that's a lot. Like how do you build up and how do you get them moving in the first place? Yeah. Great, great question. So, um, every dog, you know, has something that motivates them. Right. And I think, you know, you like to use the term currency. What, what is, what is your dog's currency? Every dog has one doesn't have to be food, right? It could be a toy. It could be this, it could be that. It could simply be, well, the dog just likes to lay outside. Okay. Well, half the time that overweight dog got outside because the owner carried him outside, right? So day one through three might just be your dog. If your dog wants to go outside, it's going to have to get up on its four legs and it's going to have to walk itself outside, right? That might be day one. And I think really relating it to the owners as, if you wanted to lose, right? Like let's use you and I, for example, and we were like, Hey, I think we could, 
I'm not going to use you because you don't need to lose any weight. Uh, if I use myself as an example, I feel like I could, you know, I can, I could lose a few pounds. Well, if I set out and said, okay, well, I'm going to lose four pounds and I'm going to do it by tomorrow, right? That's the equivalent of going, okay, I have an overweight dog or an overweight cat and I'm going to go walk it for five miles. Like that is the quickest way to an injury, the same way it is with a human. So when people want to implement an exercise plan, a weight loss plan, they really need to seek out professional help to make sure that they are doing it in a safe, safe way. And there's no reason you don't have to call a dog trainer. A, a vet can help you put something like that. And if they can't, if they just get, they will know somebody that can, right? Even on my Big Fat Pet Makeover, we had a licensed nutritionist that evaluated every dog food, every dog treat, everything that we had on there to make sure, number one, that it was safe, um, that we were doing it correctly. You know, just why not double check, right? So, in, in not just in dog training, but in health and wellness, slow is fast, right? It is, it, your dog should not be losing more than three to 5% of their body weight per month. If they are, you're pushing way too hard. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. So just helping people understand that. And again, you know all this, but just as long as people can wrap their head around it and go, hey, let's set some realistic goals let's look at six months, right? Not six weeks, six months, and really just helping them back into it and then read the dog's body language. What does overheating look like? What does hot pavement feel like? Um, what routes do we need to take? What routes do we not need to take? Um, and then really just kind of uh, backing into it that way. I, I love that. And I love how you talk about it being more about like a marathon and I think of it as like a lifestyle change. So it's like, you know, yeah. like you said, we're in this for the long haul and you want that weight to stay off and, or to come off, but not only to come off, to stay off rather than just coming right back. And one thing that, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, we're talking about like our own kind of weight journeys. One thing uh, I haven't told a lot of people, but this is kind of perfect time today is um, you wouldn't believe it. I used to be 70 pounds heavier. <laughs> Which no is like, way. yes, seriously. Um, so, and as you're talking about like the thyroid issues, I had a massive thyroid issue and I didn't realize it. And so I feel for these pets that have that because I experienced that. And I experienced like where, you know, I was in, in college at the time and all of a sudden I was like, you know, I'm eating what my friends are eating, but I'm like gaining weight. Like what is going on? Like, this is really strange. And I feel tired and like lethargic and, and that's like the other thing too with thyroid is a lot of times you, you, you know, a lot of times don't just get it tested once and be like, Oh, it's fine. It was okay. Uh, because if you have something like I have, which is Hashimoto's uh, disease, it's basically where your thyroid will get really, really high and then go really, really low. So I would always have these periods where I would like during that time where I, all of a sudden I would start to lose weight again. And I'm like, oh, okay, like that cool. Mm -hmm. it, but that's what happens. It goes, you know, right before it peters out and just kind of gives up, it goes really high, really low. And so sometimes when you get it tested, it's in one of those cycles. So one, one of the times I actually got it tested, it actually tested high. And I'm thinking there is no way. And so that's where I went to a specialist and then thankfully got on, uh, you know, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, which is basically it's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks the thyroid. And so, my God, it, I just remember going to the pharmacist, getting my prescription. He's like, God, you are going to feel so much better. He goes, next time I see you in a month, he's like, you are going to look so different. You're going to feel so different. And sure enough, like, I mean, it was just night and day, like now, you know, being, you know, the probably, I guess at this point, um, cause I've kind of, you know, it's, it's interesting with your body where you kind of go to different, you get to where you feel best. And so I think I feel best where I'm at right now, which is a little bit heavier than where I was at my lowest. And, but I love where I'm at now because it's like, I get to eat, you know, a lot of different varieties of food. I get to eat kind of what I want, but it's more of that lifestyle change versus like back in that time when I was struggling so much with my weight, I was, you know, in that diet mentality, which I honestly think it's like the more I thought, okay, I, I'm on a diet, the worse it would be. And so speaking of college stories, uh, uh, my first time during, I was doing Weight Watchers and for anyone who has done that, <laughs> you normally, you space out your extra points for the week throughout the entire week. But I decided I would eat them all the first day <laughs> 
podcast <laughs> because it was like that idea of like, I'm on a diet. Oh my God, I'm on a diet. And it's just like, oh crap. I, I, oh. It's just that, that, th- that feeling of like restriction and like you're just over-focusing on it. So it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So then, yeah, of course I like binge and then I eat all my points and I'm like, dang it. Then I give up the next day. I quit, <laughs> quit the diet. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I did the exact opposite of... <laughs> Of what I should have done. Um, but I think a lot of it came down to, uh, for sure, medically getting my thyroid fixed. You know, that's a lifelong thing, having Hashimoto's disease. But for me, it's also been like that, that lifestyle change, like you talk about with pets, where it's like, I'm in this for the long haul. Like, like, what, what kind of foods do I feel best eating, trying to eat all of the meals, trying to have breakfast, you know, trying to keep that metabolism up. And so I think that, you know, that that mentality of, a, a diet versus like, this is a lifestyle change. I, I, for me, I, I really relate to that and think that's so important. Yeah, no, that's great. And thank you for sharing that story. That is really, really amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. crazy. I look back in pictures and like, Oh my God, you know, it's just, and, but I think of so many pets that suffer like that, you know, I, uh, golden retrievers are kind of one of those, those breeds you might think of as like the, the poster child for, for having hypothyroid. And, you know, a lot of times people don't realize like their pudgy pet is probably, you know, there, there's a chance that they may be suffering on, under all of that. So I love how you said taking your pet to the vet rather than just thinking, oh, they're getting older or they're just getting fluffy because, you know, they, animals can't speak what they're feeling, but you know, going through that myself, you just, you feel terrible. You don't have energy. You can't, you know, moving is just such a chore. It's such a task. Your concentration is down. Like your mood is down. Um, I also like that. That's probably the time in my life I had probably the most anxiety too, because it's, it affects all of that. You know, it's like your, your mental state and everything. So it's just all so, so connected in there. It is. And, 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 you know, you bring up a good point, right? Cause the, the dogs, they can't, they can't tell us, right? They can't tell us if they're uncomfortable. They can't communicate, um, not verbally anyway, right? I mean, with their body signs, they can, but the average dog owner doesn't know how to read those. Right? They're not trained to, to read that kind of stuff. And even if they are, you still got to take them to a professional, you know, a veterinarian to have them checked out because even then we can't run tests as dog owners. Uh, you having a dad as a vet, you probably could run some tests at some point. Um, but you know, the average pet owner needs that help and needs that extra communication with their pet. So it's a great point. So for you, how do you think that fear-free, like a pet being able to live a fear-free life, how does that tie into the pet being at an ideal body weight? Yeah. Um, another good question. So for me, like when you talk about fear free and you talk and you mentioned it with the weight loss, but you talked about lifestyle, um, to me, fear free, it's a way of life, right? It is a way that you communicate, um, not just with pets, but even with humans. Um, my dog Presley changed the way I dealt with my friends. Um, up until that point, I had never had a serious really a serious relationship. Like I just could never, I don't know. I just was always closed off. I never, nobody was ever good enough. I just, I wouldn't let anybody in. And, um, you know, my dog Presley really broke those walls down, right? Because I was taking the wrong approach. Um, not that I was taking a, um, an, an, a, a, a real negative approach, but I definitely was quote unquote fearful of letting my guard down and doing things that make me feel right. And when we take a fear-free approach with our pets, we, it's not easy, right? It, it's difficult. Things that we do that are difficult usually have a greater impact um, on us and our pets and our friends and our family um, saying that we're sorry. Why is that so hard? It's difficult because it makes us feel right. So to not lash out at your dog is hard, right? Because it takes self-control. It takes patience. Those things are, those things are hard. Um, and that's why, you know, I think it's so important for owners to know we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We're not coming at you to help you pointing fingers and going, you did this and you caused this and you did that. It's in the past. All that matters is that you know how to take the next step in a positive way. Um, so, you know, to wrap all that up, when you say, you know, how does, how does fear-free, 
um, you know, affect that. It again, it's it's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Um, it's the way we should treat everybody, every every being on the planet. Um, we don't get anywhere with harsh words. Um, we don't get you know words hurt, right? As much as they can be helpful. So all that to say, dogs are more than just you know the a, a human's best friend. Um, they can actually change your life for the better. Um, and for that reason alone, uh, if everybody's in it for the right reasons, fear-free really is, is the only option. So, uh, that's why I just commend you on everything that you've done. So can you speak a little bit more to your dog training Academy and also to your recent TV show that you're mentioning on discovery plus? Yeah, of course. So we, um, I partnered with a local, a boarding and a daycare and grooming facility here. And we, um, we created a training academy there. He had like been trying to find having a, a, a daycare facility. They get questions about training all the time. Same as your dad gets questions about training all the time. Oh, my, my dog's potting all over the place. Oh, my dog. Now your dad can answer a lot of those questions. There's a, there's a, there's some vets that that's not their world. Right. Um, so for a lot of daycares, they have dogs coming through the door. They don't know how, they don't know how to break up fights. They don't know how to teach commands. They don't have a training academy. So we created um, a training academy here with everything from boarding and training, privates, group classes. Uh, we're launching the online. And for us, Mikkel, our business model is really different. We have a, a second organization that will actually be business to business. So as we, as we build this out uh, with our um with our site here, it'll actually be something that is licensed to other facilities that want to implement training. And then through this program, they will actually be able to train their uh, employees, not all of them, but some of them that are adequate to train and work in these specific realms. Now, they're not all going to be trained in, you know, aggressive dogs, dog bites, just specifically to what their facility uh, can offer. Because if the people at those facilities aren't getting that help, or they don't know where to go, right? We're going to have more dogs in shelters. And that's not, that's not what we want by any means. Um, speaking to that point, uh, as part of that, uh, uh, as part of their licensing and part of their uh, getting a certification, the fear free for anybody out there that's listening, uh, that's going to be part of that requirement. So we're going to be sending them all through your program because I think it's so, so crucial. Um, there's no way I could ever try to recreate all of that. The what you guys put into that is absolutely phenomenal. And all of our uh, certified employees will be going through that program uh, for sure, hands down. I love that. It gives, gives me goosebumps. I, I, I'm like thinking, can I go through? <laughs> <laughs> how, how can I, how can I, how can I take the time? <laughs> but well, maybe we'll start on the book, but, uh, we have yeah, lots of we'll plans, on, don't we? We'll start, we'll start on the book. And then you asked about the show on discovery plus. So yes. uh, the show's called, the show's called the dog games. Um, there are five episodes. There's the, there's the original dog games. There's the summer games, the winter games. Um, there's the pup, the pup bowl, uh, which was around puppy bowl. Um, and then there is a world pop. So each of the episodes, uh, except for the first one, we brought in a celebrity that had a dog that was attached to it. So we brought in a summer Olympian, a winter Olympian, an NFL football player, and they were kind of the third celebrity judge. And then there was five amateur dog trainers um, that competed uh, through a series of challenges, all very fun stuff, right? This was like, it was very family fun friendly. Um, Sarah Carson, who is a trick trainer uh, and does a lot of stuff with her Border Collies disc dog. She was the other um, expert judge. And it was just really a great, great fun competition. They vied for $5,000 that would be given to a charity of their choice. So the winner wasn't even there to win money. You know, they were there for, for a great cause. And so the next episode, the World Pup, um, comes out uh, during the World, World Cup in November. So be looking out for it. I definitely will be. And I, I have so many things to do now. I'm going to go find that clip of you on YouTube and <laughs> and then be watching some of those old shows. And the, the greatest and American dog the is, yes, we're going to write the book. That too. I mean, just minor little thing, you know, yeah. no big deal. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Well, I definitely, I just like love talking to you. Like, obviously we definitely are on the same wavelength. It's just such a joy. I have to say. Hopefully no one here listening will, will be too jealous, but I think you're my favorite 
guests I've ever had on the show. So shh. <laughs> I loved everybody well, else guess, too, but, but you're my favorite. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take that, but I'm just scared to ask how many you've had because if it's been like two, <laughs> then I won't feel as excited. But um, we'll just let that go. I don't even need you can text it to me later. So we get so many. <laughs> So many. That's it. Yes. Out of so many. Yes. I was going to say, before you let me go, thank you so much for having me again. I can't, I can't speak any higher of you than I already do. I love everything that you're doing. Love everything that you've done. Please keep it up. And I'm serious about, I'm serious about the book or maybe we even create our own TV show because that's how it works now. We just create our own. So it's all on the table. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. Make sure to catch our next episode with Dr. Adam Chrisman, host of DVM 360 Live and Social Media Star, to talk about crucial things to keep your pets safe and fear-free during the holidays. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.